have a little bit of greeting music while you're with each other. All right, that's enough being nice to each other. Thank you. You can sit down. Hey, everybody, let's uh, thank the Confluence Band and thank God for them as well. <laughs> okay, Jim, uh, it's all yours. Good luck. Right. I'm rooting for you. Very good. I, uh, Mark, I asked several of the people from Texas. I said, I understand why they would come from Houston here. I can't understand why they would go back. <laughs> and none of them had a good answer. Welcome. It's good to be back in the amphitheater. Uh, all I'm going to say about this is on the back is all kinds of information, and there's information that's not even on here. So let me encourage you, if you're interested in some of the stuff and sign-ups and all that, we have a welcome table up at the top. Stop there, and they can answer your questions and things like that. Before we get started today, we're going to stop and pray for what's happening with the soccer team in Thailand. I suspect most of you are aware They've already lost one of their divers. They have a soccer team that got trapped in a cave. And uh, the Thai Navy SEALs are doing their best. They've got several of them out. And they're very concerned about the ones they haven't gotten out. So we need to stop and pray for these boys. So let's just stop. Father, we do lift up um, this team. They went over to have fun, Lord, to compete, to sightsee. And the next thing they know is they're trapped. Lord, I've not ever been trapped like that, so I don't know what they're going through. But God, I imagine they're frightened, nervous. I know they're tired. They're concerned about the oxygen levels now. And I pray that you would just show them grace. And Father, this is just one thing that's going on in our world. All around us, all around us, we see brokenness. We see hurt. We see people that are in trouble. Father, uh, the older I get, the more I realize how much we need you and how much we rely on you, uh, even when we're not aware. So I pray that you would bless the rescue efforts and be very mindful of all the things going on in our world and our own country. Uh, engage us. Love us. Help us as a church to reflect your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, the theme for the summer is going to be uh, the Great Reversal, a look at the Beatitudes out of Matthew 5. And so you're wondering, what do the Beatitudes have to do with the reversal? Well, you just have to find out as the sermon unfolds what's going on. The Beatitudes are often presented from the perspective, I've heard this many times in my life, as some of you have, of ideals, ideals that we should uh, live for. We should want to be those who mourn. Um, that never made sense to me. Why would I want to be like that? God didn't make me for that. I don't think he created me to mourn. I don't think that at all. And so I never did understand that. I think something else is going on. And so before we can get to what is actually happening, I think it would be helpful for you to understand the history of the Beatitudes. You know, they go way, way back in ancient literature. Homer, for example, had Beatitudes, his period of time in ancient Greece, classical Greek period. And the Beatitudes first arose because people began to say, the gods must be really happy because they don't have to put up with all the stuff we have to put up with. They're way above all that. Well, it didn't take very long as it unfolded in this, this genre, we call it, this way of communicating developed before they began to say, well, that's true of 
Rich people. The rich people, they don't have to put up with it either. The brokenness of those that are living as poor people in culture. And so pretty soon it began, it began to be a, uh, a way of saying, blessed are or happy are the gods and happy are the wealthy or those in power because they don't, they're above all of this. They're above all the stuff that most of us live with every day. Well, at the same time this is happening, the Old Testament's being written, and so several of the Psalms introduce the same genre, but it's very interesting what they say. They say things like, blessed are those who find themselves in the Lord's presence. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Blessed are those who are blessed by a king. And the list goes on and on. There's a whole bunch of them throughout the uh, Old Testament that all say the same kind of thing, which talks about, and it's appropriate, we as Christians believe this, don't we? Blessed are those who find themselves in God's presence. But the distinction was still maintained between being in God's presence and the brokenness that we experience here on the earth. Jesus came along and changed all that. So I called it the great reversal. You see, he began to talk about things like those who mourn, they're actually the ones who are happiest. They're the ones who are blessed. What he did was he turned culture on its head. He reversed the process. The very thing that, uh, the very thing that all of the world had decided was good, he began to change all that and said, no, it's actually the opposite. This is how he began to introduce the kingdom. And so people like us, we're not kings, we're not presidents. Um, I suspect the top 10 wealthiest people in the world are not sitting here. I may be surprised. But he began to give validation to us. And he began to say, no, it's the opposite, actually. It's not what you think. The people who are the most blessed are the ones that are living life day to day and experiencing what the world would be, would consider failure. Who wants to mourn? How many of you have mourned the loss of a loved one? Almost everybody. That's our life. How many of you have experienced the time when you didn't know how you're going to make ends meet financially? Most of us. Most of you know that I was married once before. My first wife went to be with the Lord when we were together five years. I remember one day opening the refrigerator and there was nothing in it. We were so young. And I just prayed and said, Lord, I, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. If you don't step in and help me, we won't eat tonight. And uh, my first wife was uh, terminally ill and sick. And I just cried out to the Lord as the psalmist does and says, if you don't step in, we'll be in trouble. Some of you have heard the story. Not long after that, I heard a kind of a noise outside my front door, and I opened it. And our assistant pastor was standing there with two bags of groceries 
with a piece of paper in the middle with our address on it. So I open the door and he looks up and he goes, I suppose it's too late to be anonymous. <laughs> Some of you have been there, right? Some of you have mourned. Some of you have grieved. Grieved. How many of you have ever been experienced to an injustice? You've seen it or you've experienced it personally. Somebody that should have been guilty wasn't found guilty. Somebody that should have got caught wasn't caught. The psalmist says, why do the sinners get away with all this? Why how them? How about them? How come they're getting away with it? And so what's in these Beatitudes are actually a description of our life. And this is how Jesus chose to introduce the kingdom? It's a surprise. It's very countercultural. It's turning culture upside down on its head. That's what the Beatitudes do. The people that are the happiest are the ones that begin to recognize who they are in the Lord. And so he picks, as we go down through these, there's one for each week, as he picks these things to talk about, I think it's awful convenient that Jesus would pick the right number of Beatitudes for the number of weeks we're in the amphitheater, by the way. He begins to look around him at the poor, the needy, those who are mourning. And he said, actually, these are the happiest people right here. Why? Why are they the happiest? The very first one, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean, poor in spirit? What does that mean? Well, you have to understand the poor. You see, in Luke chapter 6, where he has the same thing, he just says, Luke says, records it as blessed are the poor. He doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. And so to really begin to grasp this, you have to pause for a moment and you have to look at it from the aspect of the poor. Now, some of you uh, are very well off, and I praise God for that. Don't ever feel guilty for being wealthy. Uh, feel guilty if you're greedy, but not wealthy. Don't confuse the two. Some of you have to go back a long, long ways to remember what it was like to have very little. Uh, but you can get there. You can stop and do it. First of all, I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 3, because when he begins his ministry, he quotes uh, Isaiah. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 3. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is Isaiah 61. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what he said in the, temple, the tabernacle, and then he sat down. And he said, today it's been fulfilled. I came for the poor. So what do we know about the poor? In the ancient world. Well, all throughout the Bible, every time the poor is mentioned, there are several things that float to the surface. Number one, they're typically oppressed. They're there because of the greed of others. Almost every prophet talked about that. Almost every prophet. That that was an indictment against Israel. That was one of the big sins that Israel was guilty of, is not taking care of the poor. So they were there at the whim of others, if you will. 
Uh, one of the things I love, one of the questions I love to ask in the classroom with students is when you see a poor person sitting on the side of the road, how many of you naturally think this is my responsibility or there's a government program to help them? And it's really fascinating with these young students because I've never had a person say, I naturally think it's my responsibility. We live in a culture where we have managed to communicate that that's what the government exists for. I'm going to read to you a passage out of Deuteronomy 15, verse 4. However, there need, this is the Lord talking, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. There doesn't need to be any poor because I'm going to bless you, which tells us, among many other passages, why God blesses us. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. He doesn't bless us to corral our stuff and let the government take poor care of the poor people. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. He blesses us, number one, so we can enjoy it, and number two, so we can help others enjoy it and bless others. Some of you might struggle to, re to, to really recognize that. I've had people ask me, how do I know if I'm greedy? Wow, that's a great question. When you look at all your possessions, do you think these are mine? I need to corral and protect them? They belong to me, or do you think the Lord loaned me these so that I can bless others with them? Depending on how you answer that question, it will determine if you're greedy or not, as I understand it. So the whole purpose of the law, one of the core central elements of the law, the Mosaic law, was to take care of each other. We see that in Acts 2 where they sold everything. They sold all their possessions and shared them amongst one another. We see it all throughout the scriptures. Paul's constantly affirming churches for being sacrificial in their giving. Why? Because the poor, the one word that describes the poor, helpless. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I love wealthy Christians. I want more in our church. Then we have more resources to do even more than we're doing. By the way, we'll say this in just a minute at, at offering, but thank you for being generous. And I mean that. I think we have one of the most generous churches I've ever seen. Over 20% of the money that comes in goes back out to benevolence, to missionaries, to food bank, things like that. Thank you for being generous. But the one word that captures poverty is helplessness. Helplessness. That's what he's talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What that means is, is that every one of you have come to the conclusion that you are actually helpless before the Lord. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter how much wealth you've accumulated. It doesn't matter what position you've attained. None of that matters because that's all a blessing from the Lord. He could take it away that fast. What he's really talking about 
is shifting our perspective. If you do not have the perspective that you are dependent on the Lord, you are helpless before the Lord, then you're experiencing some level of bankruptcy in the soul. The truth is you're all there. You just don't know it. One of the things that the book of Job teaches us is that if God were to release control for one second, you'd be dead. That's how much Satan hates you. So God places very strict controls on what's allowed to happen to you. You sit here today because of the grace of God. You have material possessions because of the grace of God. You have success and accomplishment because of the grace of God. That's what that means. And so Satan's greatest, one of his greatest tools in our world today is distraction. What some people are referring to now as the weapons of mass distraction. I love it. We are distracted because we have enough that we don't need the Lord. No, that's not true. The reality of the situation is we are all helpless before the Lord. We have what we have because of his blessing. That's what it means. And so if you forget that, then you're filled with a lot more anxiety, a lot more strife, a lot more tension, a lot more stress. That begins to define your life. The more consistently you realize that you are actually dependent on the Lord and his goodness, the more joyful life will become. Those are the truly happy. So Jesus chose, the very first thing he says, he chose those who are poor or poor in spirit because the world doesn't buy this for one second. This differentiates Christianity in the way we view this from everybody else. The world doesn't view it at all, that this is a positive thing, but it is. It is. So I don't care if you have $10 or millions of dollars, you are dependent on the Lord. And so being poor in spirit is recognizing that's the case. Now, it's fascinating because when you look down through all these Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the mourned, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. So it's future. It's got a strong future aspect to it. But the very first one is blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's already a present reality. That's not going to change in eternity. You're just going to love being helpless before the Lord. Because then you become a blessing junkie. Where you just long for those blessings to keep coming. Knowing he's going to take care of you. The more self-sufficient you are, the more alone you become. So this is a present reality. That's why he describes it in the present tense. Blessed are those poor in spirit. There's is the kingdom. We exist right here now as the kingdom, in the kingdom. And you know what that means? Right now, at some level, we are already reigning with Christ, already in our poverty. You know what that means? That means that we have work to do. Because we are the ones who represent the kingdom to all the people around us that don't understand what this means, this world is all about. 
They're striving more and more and more for success, for wealth, for all of that. Eventually, it turns into lust and greed and all on down that road. And, and, and the further they go down the road, the unhappier they become. Don't be fools. I talk to these people all week long in coffee shops, bars, restaurants. The more they move down the road, the lonelier they become. We, we have the answer to show them the truth. And the truth is, in poverty is true dependence because we're not helpless, because we have a loving God. That's the heart of the gospel. In true dependence, we can relax. We actually can. We can rest because he will take care of us. So I want to leave you with this question. What is it, what's the distraction that's keeping you from that perspective? Is it your wealth? Is it your strive to be successful? Is it your pride that doesn't want to admit it? Is it sin that's in the way? I don't know the answer to that. You do. You know the answer. But I can tell you this. The sooner you begin to realize that you are helpless and you have a God who loves to take care of that helplessness, the happier you become. Your blood pressure begins to go down. That's what happens. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They shall, uh, for theirs is the kingdom. Father, thank you. Thank you for, uh, well, first for surprising us because the world has clearly defined this in very different terms, what success looks like. And we strive and we work so hard and we can't figure out why we're not happy. It's because we've got it all backwards. We've got it all backwards. Thank you for telling us the truth and for surprising the world by helping us to see who the truly happy people are. And Father, where, whatever it is that we are struggling with in the way of distractions, help us to set them aside, to tr become truly poor in spirit where we depend on you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and take the offering while we sing again. And uh, as I said just a minute,